This is Akafe. Laura Marie and Jessica Marie proudly present A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, a podcast. Fair warning, everything the hosts say is explicit, full of spoilers and adult content and shall not be used against them. They have opinions. Let's try not to drag anyone for expressing themselves and just have fun for an hour. We all deserve it. This episode contains slight spoilers and mentions of Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. Everybody and welcome to A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, your weekly deep dive into the YA literature and fandoms that we love. I'm Laura Marie. And I'm Jessica Marie. And today we are welcoming a very special guest and our new friend. This is Melinda Top. And Melinda is the author of Stilk Starcrossed and her newest release, The Scandalous Confessions of Lydia Bennett Witch. Welcome, Melinda. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for taking the time, especially on a, a Friday evening. We really appreciate it. Uh, congratulations on your new release. Thank you so much. How has the week been? Um, fun. It's been a fun week. It's been very exhausting. Uh, I find promotional stuff like super fun, but a little bit stressful. So I'm glad that I'm rolling into the weekend. Going to go to the spa tomorrow. Oh, I was going to say, are you going to be a hermit? Because you had that book signing in Brooklyn earlier this week. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was super fun. Um, at one of the new Barnes & Nobles. Those are so wonderful. And I know um, as a fan that I get nervous when I do book signing. So I can only imagine what it is like on the other side of that. Um, but jumping off, I have a question for you. My question being... We know, all of us know, that you read Pride and Prejudice while you were working on Samantha B. That mm -hmm. is just so wonderful. And my question for you is, what kind of drew you to Pride and Prejudice, to these characters? Uh, there are just so many books, right? There's mm -hmm. so many books. There's so little time. And I'm just so interested on, on what kind of made you focus on Pride and Prejudice. Because obviously, I'm wearing my shirt. I love it. Mm -hmm. It is beloved. Uh, I'd love to know what drew you there. Um, I think part of it was that I, the book at that point was already an old friend. I'd read it many, many times and it's so well written that it's one of the few books that I'd never get tired of. Um, so I could sort of like return to it almost like a security blanket, but it's also so smart and so well written that it doesn't like, it never feels like it's holding your hand or, you know, like it's too safe. Um, so it's, it was very easy for me to just like come back to it night after night. And I think also, I was writing a lot about, you know, I was writing for this political show and I was writing a lot about bad things happening in the world and our show had kind of a feminist bent. So a lot of the time I was writing about bad things happening to women um, and it kind of ground me down. And I think the great thing about Jane Austen's books is, you know, in some ways they're writing about a, a, a safe world, like, no one is going to, you know, bleed out in a, in a Jane Austen novel. Um, but 
she has such complex and fully drawn female characters. Um, and I think it was always comforting after a hard day to come back to her books and see women living their lives very fully and happily. And something that is wonderful about these books as well, I mean, obviously they're classics, obviously, um, is that the more that you read them, and it does sound like that you have read them, or Pride and Prejudice, several times, <laughs> um, every read, something else kind of um, exposes itself to you, right? Something Definitely. else, and and you, you, you notice something, you're like, oh my goodness, and you make a new connection. And that is like the joy of the reread is something mm -hmm. that we talk about um, here on Akafe. And, and I think Pride and Prejudice is, is something that is really a fantastic example of that because also uh, the language, right? You are transported mm -hmm. into another time. And I remember as a child having to look up something and be like, huh, Felicity, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, what, what is that? And, and, and just being like so excited. So mm -hmm. um, the world of Pride and Prejudice is, is very lush, obviously, but your story, which is what we are talking about, your story is also more lush. I would like to know um, the research process, right? Jess, we have so many things going on in this wonderful story. Yeah, I, well, some of my research process might be in frame behind me. I have shelves and shelves of books about, you know, Regency life and I have a couple of books about um, witchcraft and folklore. I didn't end up using those all that much um, because I started to dive into them and I, I wanted to steer clear of anything that might be real people's spiritual beliefs. Um, so there's a little bit of sort of like there are nods to like references to English folklore, folklore around witchcraft and Caribbean folklore Um but I mostly made that stuff up. Um, I did do a lot of research on life in Regency England and life in the Caribbean around that time. And there's a character who is um, a biracial woman from the Caribbean um, who's an heiress to a large fortune, but is also sort of caught between those two worlds. So I did a lot of research trying to find out what her life would be like. Um, I have family in England. I've spent a lot of time there. Um, oh, okay. it, it is not, uh, I feel like I know it reasonably well. Um, but the Caribbean is a little bit, was a little bit more of a mystery to me. So that ended up being a huge portion of the research that I did. Do you feel like that the fact that you made certain, I, I don't want to say make it up, but you kind of made it your own, gave you more creative freedom and liberty from stepping away from that research process or did you with like the re the background research that you did did it make you go I have to go into this more to make sure I'm not being disrespectful to anybody um mostly I just figured that if I just made it up I was probably okay you're like um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> fine um I tried to sort of yeah, I, I, I mean, I kept it like distinct enough that I think probably it wouldn't be stepping on anybody's toes. And you, you're, you're talking about your details of Regency life. Uh, I, I love them. I love them. I love the the 
the gown details, the fashion details, the the little, you know, pins and hair and day dresses are this color, but oh, you know, Jane's is a little bit blue and that's a little, you know, not to her vanity. So, you know, we love these little details. Uh, is is historical like fiction? Is 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 this your genre? Is this your time period? Is this where you feel the most at home, or is it just Pride and Prejudice that you just really love, or just Jane Austen? Um, that's a great question. I've been, you know, I, I have another book that is a follow up to this one, so that obviously will also be Regency. Um, but then after that, I don't know. I think like starting from a point of research tends to work really well for me. Um, I think especially after working for Full Frontal um, for so many years, it was always, um, you know, we were always, of course, starting from real facts and sticking to real facts. Um, And so, like, I'm used to using that as my premise and then jumping off from there. Um, So historical fiction, I think, is a good home for me. Uh, On the other hand, it might be nice to not have to stop every few pages to spend a week learning about Regency Brighton. (laughs) So maybe something contemporary next. Right. Oh, well, you know, Regency Brighton, uh, you you say that you have traveled in England. Uh, These places that are in your book, The Scandalous Confessions, Lydia Bennett, which um, they jump off the page. They are they are just fantastic. And and this I will circle back to this later. um, But it is so easy to envision kind of the countryside, this countryside coven that we kind of have here. And then um, these cities that we're talking about, it is so wonderful. So when you Thank are you. doing, oh, you're welcome. I am here to praise you. I love this. So my question for you is like, when you are kind of weaving this story that you have here, you have all of these places, you have the background of traveling to England with your family, your love of Pride of Prejudice. When did Lydia become your focus? When did when did Lydia come to you and say, I have a story to tell, please tell it? Uh, it did feel like she did that, really. Um, I think I, I first thought of the idea for the book... Um, probably around five or six years ago. Um, And I I think I messaged my sister and maybe some of my friends being like, Oh, I want to write this, this Lydia centric fantasy book. And by the way, Kitty is a cat. Um, And then that was all I did on it for a couple of years because I could not write a novel while I was also a head writer of a TV show. Um, I think there are people who can do that. Not me. Um, And then when I left full frontal, I really kind of like, I took a few weeks to like travel, relax. um, And then I started listing all the projects that I hadn't been able to do because I was at Full Frontal. Um, And that was, I I don't think I even made a conscious decision to focus on that one. I was, I was visiting family in the UK and I was on a train from London to Rye, uh, which is I think in Sussex. And I started writing in my journal on the train and I just the first few pages of the book just started pouring out in Lydia's voice. Um, And I hadn't even planned really to focus on that book or like, I I definitely hadn't known it was going to be in first person, Uh, but her voice was just, as soon as I reached for it, it was there. Um, And yeah. Was writing in your journal and writing, is that what inspired the style 
for Lydia to be like, is because you even said, um, you're like, I didn't even think of it being first person, but did that wind up being the inspiration to have that format for this book? Oh, I'm sure that was a big part of it. I had just really, I was doing like the artist's way. Um, and so I had been doing a lot of journaling and I had never really kept a journal so faithfully before. And so I was like noticing it a lot more. Um, and I, I, it definitely inspired a lot of, um, a lot of when Lydia talks about writing is, especially when she complains about writing is actually me complaining about writing. Um, <laughs> we love a self-insertion. <laughs> Absolutely. I wrote the first probably 30 pages of the book longhand in a notebook. So when Lydia says her hand hurts, my hand hurts. <laughs> and when she can't believe she's only written 10 pages, that's also me. Since you're, te- since you're saying that you started off in a journal, I am just so curious then, what is your writing process like? You know, everybody has like a different process. They, they just kind of like fly by the seat of their pants. They plan everything out. Some have like a big murder board. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your process like? This one was a little scary for me because it was the first big writing project or even small writing project really uh, that I didn't work with any kind of an outline. Um, for my first novel, Still Starcrossed, I had like a 10 page detailed outline um, that I also like kind of like revised and made more detailed as I went along. Um, and I didn't really have that for Lydia. Um, I was just sort of so, so enjoying the ride. Um, I found her to be good company and she has such a disorganized mind that to me, it made more sense not to have an outline because then it just sort of like came pouring out of her in this haphazard way. Um, and it, it, it was definitely scary for me because I didn't know if I was going to, if I was ever going to reach the end or if it would make sense when I did, but for this book, it worked out. And it aligns with her personality too, from like yes. what we know historically with, with Lydia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I tried that with my current book. Did not work at all. Had to go back and do an outline. Interesting. Well, then that though, would kind of fit with who that book might mm-hmm. be about, which might be teased <laughs> in this book, maybe. Maybe she's 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 busy up in that room. Uh, yeah. Can't wait to see what she's doing. Um, it's also exciting. The The writing process really, I'm, I'm not a writer. I have no talent. Um, but I love hearing other people talk about it because it is just, it is just so fascinating. So then... Um, when you do edits and things, uh, is editing relaxing for you or is that a stressful time for you? Because I know it can go both ways. Oh, are there people who find editing relaxing? There are. What? Isn't that just <laughs> oh, perfectionist, right? I don't find any part of writing relaxing. It's always hard. Um, I mean, for this one, the editing process was, I would say, pretty painless. Um, I did a big pass just to cut the book down before I sent it out on submission. Um, and the changes that I made after light after that were pretty light. Um, there were really only one or two big structural changes and everything else was just sort of like tweaking and tightening. So relaxing compared to writing a book, I guess. Exactly. And so then my, my next question would be, is, is all of that material that you cut, is that gone forever or, or is that maybe something? Oh, um, I think it's probably gone forever. Um, a lot of it was just like small snips within scenes. Ah. You guys have read the book, you know, Lydia is very talkative and she likes to <laughs> yes. change the subject. 
Um, yes. And so a lot of it was just sort of like reining her voice in <laughs> and making it a, a sticking to the story. Um, there are a few big scenes that I cut, um, but I think I was probably right to cut them. So I don't think they're going to show up anywhere else. I could relate to Lydia and the fact that even in some of the, like even in an intro of chapter in a chapter, she would say like word vomit. Some of the, well, I'm telling you this because of X, Y, and Z. And here's the reason why, because it really is pertinent to the story. So Mm -hmm. knowing that you, I think we all have a habit of wanting to explain ourselves depending on like how we were brought up. And, you know, you have some people, I mean, even in the real, real world, I'll say in quotes, they'll be like, nobody cares about the excuses. And you're like, but it's not an excuse. You need this, this background, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it adds to the story. So I can only imagine you're like, how much background does, does Lydia really need to give right now? Yeah, definitely. Well, and, and kind of jumping off of that, Jess, Lydia does say in, in several instances, she's, I did a wicked thing. This is so wicked. I'm so wicked. I'm so wicked. And, and there are people that tell her later on, like, you know, not, you're not really, no, like, you're not that wicked. Uh, you know, circumstance, you know, you know, maybe choices being <laughs> what they were, but you know, you're, you're a good person. You're a good friend. You know, all, all of these things. Uh, do you feel that Lydia feels truly that she is a little wicked or is is Lydia kind of just her own person? I think she does think that she's a little bit wicked. I think like she has a certain amount of bravado, uh, but she did grow up in a society that is very hard on women. And, you know, the Lydia of Pride and Prejudice is you know, fairly careless and doesn't seem to notice when she's in danger of like losing her reputation and hurting her family. But after it happens, she definitely at some point will notice. Um, And definitely by the time that she's writing this, people have told her. Um, So I do think that I, it's one of the things that I, I, I like about my Lydia is I think she's sort of, putting on a brave face. Um, she's both defiant against these sort of strictures that are being unfairly placed on her. Um, but there is a little part of her that's, you know, this 16 year old girl that basically just lost her whole family and her whole life and does think maybe I really am just a terrible person. It's based on the society that she's in. That's the big driving factor. She's like, I'm terrible because of these circumstances. But that doesn't mean her impulse controls aren't there. She's hitching up her skirt. She's mm-hmm. like, do I want this? No, but do I? Yes. You know, the internal <laughs> thoughts that she's or she's like, or even when she's doubting other people, when she's like, no, you don't love me. That's that's just in your head. And that person is like, no, I. It, it's been a while. And she's really well, like, mm-hmm. I guess it couldn't be that bad. But we all need to take a breather right now. This is all moving too fast. <laughs> Yeah, the things that she feels bad about are not the actual bad things that she did. (laughs) Uh, She's sorry for the wrong things. Well, and and kind of jumping from the society that Lydia is in, Lydia is, if we want to get kind of technical about it, because you do in like the first uh, few pages here, Lydia is the youngest of of a of a large family of of women um and she is slightly lonely 
And as you have already said, uh, Kitty, we have Kitty and Kitty is Kitty and Kitty is wonderful. And Kitty and Lydia are the two. They are our sisters here. I don't have sisters. I love reading about a sisterhood family dynamic, especially through the eyes of a character that hasn't really given a voice yet. It's always like Lizzie, you know, that that's where we are. And she kind of skirts this a little bit like, hi, Lizzie, bye, Lizzie. <laughs> um, but but this this sisterhood and, and the sister uh, relationship that you created between Liz or between Lydia and Kitty, uh, what was that like for you? Do you have sisters? Like, do you have relationships to draw on? I I just love it so much. Oh, thank you. Um, I do have sisters. I have one older and one younger, um, and I'm very close with them. So sister relations sister relationships are always very fun for me to write because they're some of my most important relationships. Um, and yeah, so I definitely, I, I drew on my relationships with my sisters and for some of the younger stuff, a little bit is inspired by my nieces. Um, oh. The book is uh, dedicated to my niece, Daria um, and she and her younger sister, Stella are, yeah, they're, they're just, uh, they're very typical sisters. They're very close and also, you know, fight like cats and dogs. Um, and the little one follows the big one around and wants to be around her all the time, um, which occasionally drives the big one crazy. Um, so the stuff about Lydia pulling her older sister Mary's hair to get her attention because she just loved her so much when she was tiny. Um, that's my niece, Stella, used to do that, used to do that to her sister, Daria, when she was just a baby. These are little details, like little, little details that just did not, did not exist in my life that I am just like so eagerly gobbling up whenever I read a story like this. It is just so fantastic. And especially I love, I love that Lydia through her eyes kind of, um, we get her view of her family and she does say over and over and over again. I mean, she has feelings about her father. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you know, we, we, we feel a certain way about, about our father, um, and a certain way about mom and, and, and our authority figures here and a certain way about our aunts, this extended family that we like draw in. Um, this, these, these relationships are so wonderful. And also the relationships with the covens. And there are a, a couple here that we draw from this foundation of like womanhood and like sisterhood. Of course, it's, it's centered here in the craft is so lovely. And I think that the interactions that you put in here are just so real and just so perfect, especially like shyness around elders and like, you know, kind of having to prove yourself in certain situations. It was really lovely. Um, is that from anywhere like in particular? It just felt so real. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I don't think it's from anything in particular that I can think of. Um, I think generally, I wanted it to, you know, I knew once I started writing this that I didn't want a magic system that had, you know, a dark side and forces of light, that it was just going to be a force that you could use for good or evil or just pure selfishness. Um, and so I really wanted all of the magic, all of the covens, all of the witches to feel like different, but also a reflection of Regency society and Jane Austen society. Um, 
So I, I really tried to focus on like, well, how would Jane Austen write a group of witches? Like, <laughs> what are the moments that she would think were interesting or funny? What what would she what would she write to try and show you the social dynamics at play? So that was the flavor that I was trying to give. And I think probably a lot of it was also me at parties and me <laughs> at, at work at, you know, workplace events. I'm not always the most comfortable in a crowd. So that's probably where a lot of that comes from. I am very much interested in your interpretation of Wickham here. So Wickham has a reputation, right? We all, we all know what that reputation is, but you have made him your own in the best way possible. And I want to know where this idea came from. Uh, you know, men, right? Men. <laughs> so once I knew that I was writing a book about Lydia I think what I found appealing about writing a book about her was I wanted to give the possibility of a happy ending to this character who everyone around her says she doesn't deserve one. Um, and it doesn't appear that she's going to get one. And because it is, you know, the 19th century, um, the only way to really, you kind of had to be a fantasy novel at that point. Um, you kind of had to introduce magic to give her a happy ending. Um, and that also meant I had to deal with Wickham. Um, I knew I didn't want to contradict Pride and Prejudice. So it had to end with her married or appearing to be married to Wickham. Um, and the Wickham who we meet in Pride and Prejudice is not only a lot older than her, but a pretty awful guy. Uh, she is not even the first 15-year-old heiress who he tried to run away with. Um, so he's a bit of a creep. Um, these days, you know, if, if in our time, a 28 year old man tried to run off with a 16 year old, we wouldn't reward him with her hand in marriage. Um, and we would probably put him on some kind of list. So I wanted to find a path to make him a little more complex. Um, and a little bit, and, and I wanted to give him layers to peel back, just like we have layers to peel back with Lydia. Um, so uh, yeah, I decided to make him also a sort of supernatural entity um, in the book. I, I mean, I'll, I'll just say it. I, it's not a spoiler. I think it's on a jack on the jacket. Um, Wickham is actually a demon um, who ate the previous Wickham, the bad guy who we know <laughs> from Pride and Prejudice, uh, and took his place. But now he's this sort of he was created specifically to. Um, to capture Lydia. Um, but he gets sent to the world in the shape of a handsome young man without many cares of the, in the world. Um, and he finds out that he really likes it. Um, and so he, you know, he doesn't start out as a good guy, but he quickly finds that he's not particularly interested in doing a quick, dirty job and getting back to being a demon. Um, and he really starts to sort of enjoy the world and enjoy the people in the world, which allows him to grow a little and be more complex. I love it. I love it so much. And while we're talking about Wickham, we also can talk about this this wonderful, I, I don't even want to call her a side character or, or like, a, a, like a side plot, but we have uh, Georgiana here. Georgiana is, is her own person in this story. She is solving 
the math. <laughs> she is doing the thing. My goodness. Um, did you do research in, into, into this unsolvable uh, equation that she's doing? What is, this is gold box conjecture. Um, it is, it is so, I'm intimidated by math. I could just say that. So having, having Georgiana uh, go through this and she has her own story, but um, the research on the math, it, do you like math? No, not really. <laughs> um, I, I have, I read a novel about gold box conjecture um, that does really sort of dive into the math. Um, and I, I read that a long time ago, but it, I guess stuck with me because um, as soon as Georgiana came on the scene, I was like, Oh, I think she's trying to solve gold box conjecture. I think like, I like the story possibilities. I, I, I find it kind of romantic. These like big unsolved problems that have never been solved. Um, the story possibilities for that are sort of endless, but no, I am not a math person myself. It, it, ugh, math, math is just the worst. Uh, someone who we all thought was the worst, but isn't is of course, Mr. Darcy. And he makes an appearance here. You you have made him your own while very much staying faithful um, to the character. Was it fun to have him kind of in here and and uh, playing a little role and having Lydia interact with him? It was so fun. It was a little nerve wracking because you know he's one of the most beloved characters ever, and you know you want to do him justice, but also no one would hate the existence of magic more than Mr. Darcy from Pride and Prejudice. Uh, so it was really fun writing him kind of getting his feathers ruffled over and over every time <laughs> he has to deal with the fact that magic is real and his troublesome sister-in-law, uh, this like teenage brat who keeps messing things up, is the only one who can help him with it. And what's, but you know what, I also think it adds to the relationship that I, I, I just, I love that, a relationship is established here without him taking over because I think it's so easily easy. Um, so easily we can get sucked into the Mr. Darcy of it all, but the nods that you have, like even Laura had sad, you know, it's like you have, um, Lizzie comes in and then she floats out and Darcy plays, Mr. Darcy plays like a little bit heavier hand, but doesn't overtake the scenes, but encourages um, relationship growth and communication amongst the sisters. And he's like, also like, please, can can you get me out of it? Like, take me out of the equation. <laughs> you, y'all need to figure it out on your own. <laughs> yeah, he definitely does not want to be involved in all this Michigas. Uh, <laughs> but it was too funny. Uh, yeah, I, I was pretty careful to keep Elizabeth offstage almost entirely because she is, I think the most beloved fictional character of all time. And, you know, I think we all love her so much and I didn't want her kind of like sucking the oxygen, drawing the focus from Lydia. Um, especially because like she has pretty good reasons for disapproving of Lydia and being angry at her as far as she knows. Um, and so I, I, I really tried to keep her, very much off stage, but she also kind of lives rent free in Lydia's head. And so Lydia often finds herself writing about like what Lizzie would think or why Lizzie's wrong about things. Um, and so I feel like she's sort of spiritually there through Lydia's eyes. 
We all want the approval of the older sister, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I get. I guess maybe <laughs> I, I don't have sisters. I'm assuming. Um, I I would like to touch on Lydia's kind of loneliness and the the creation of, of Kitty. I mean, that's on the jacket. That's not a spoiler. Um, this this feeling of you know I this great working I can do this like I she Lydia did this great working. Uh, Kitty is who she is. Uh, this is the the loneliness kind of a of a sister, and then they have each other um, until they don't. And I love the the growth of their relationship. I love that they're close, and then they come apart. They come back together. They come apart. It is a natural kind of growth of sisters. Again, I assume, <laughs> um, but definitely. Uh, the, the, there is a letter that Kitty sends later on in the book where she's like, you know what? I think maybe, maybe we take some time here. And, and that I was like, Oh, wow. Ouch. Yeah. But I get like, I can see it. I can see it. So when was it very clear to you that, that like this was going to be the kind of foundation here? Like, Lydia was going to be a witch and Kitty was going to be who Kitty was. Did those go hand in hand? Um, yes. I think as soon as I knew that Lydia was a witch, I knew that like the very next thing I was going to have to figure out was Kitty because they're very close. They're kind of a pair and they're always together in Pride and Prejudice. So I was like, well, is Kitty another witch? And then I started thinking about like what we see their relationship as in Pride and Prejudice, and it's a little bit of a weird one. Kitty is older than Lydia, but she seems to follow Lydia in everything. Lydia is the one who takes the big chances, who has the big adventures, who makes the big mistakes. And Kitty sort of trails after after her in a way that we would you, you, that is much more common for younger sisters to do with older sisters. Um, so I started thinking, like, well, that's a little weird. Why is their relationship like that? Um, it's almost like Kitty is, a, is sort of Lydia's sidekick. Oh, wait, witches have sidekicks. Um, they're called familiar. What was her name again? Um, <laughs> and so it just, yeah, it just sort of made sense to me that like she was in some ways Lydia's creation. Um, that Lydia had, had in some ways Lydia's creation and in some ways Lydia's pet, which I think affects the way that they relate to each other. Um, they're sisters, but they're also sort of pet and owner and creator and creation and um, uh, witch and familiar. And so I think they're for their for the first part of their book, they're they're very, very close, but not particularly um, considerate to each other. I think Lydia loves her the way a little kid loves very possess very possessively and almost thinking of her as a part of herself. Um, and a lot of what she goes through in the book is, finding ways to love people and ways to love Kitty um, that allow her to be her own person and allow her to grow. Oh, that's so good. Um, I would like to know, uh, and, and we're, we're, we're close to wrapping up here, but I would like to know, so we are within, obviously, Jane Austen's world. We're within the world of Pride and Prejudice. Do you find it easier to write within these kind of restrictive boundaries, or is it kind of an exercise in in creativity to work within these like parameters of this story? Like, you know, you have to hit these certain things, like you said earlier. 
Um, I think having that scaffolding could be really helpful, actually. Like it definitely is frustrating at times. And I think when I when I got Lydia off to Brighton, I felt as relieved as she did uh, because I, at that point, she's not being viewed by the narrator from Pride and Prejudice for a few months and I could really like take her off in other directions. But having that scaffolding of that well-known story to kind of like, I, I, I think of it as like, you know, a garden trellis and my story is like growing in and around it, filling in the gaps. That must help knowing that you didn't have like a bulleted outline for this. It, her story was already all over the place. Yeah, my outline was Pride and Prejudice, basically. <laughs> so yeah. you kind of you were like, this is, I, I have to stay within the confines that I set for myself. I think, I don't know. I'm that person. I like that structure it's for my own, my own doings. So it I can, can see really where you're helpful. like, these are my limitations. This is what I have to work with, even mm-hmm. though I have, but like the story might be all over the place, but it's still there. It's not bulleted. <laughs> you still, it, it makes it easier to work with it. Yeah. I kind of know where it's going. Yeah. There were parts where it was easier and parts where it was harder. Like I said, the Brighton part, Really, I got to sort of like spread my wings a little bit. Um, and then after, once we're back in the Pride and Prejudice, it, once we're back at the part of Pride and Prejudice where Lydia has run off with Wickham, um, then Pride and Prejudice has a pretty detailed timeline of what's happening day by day. Um, and so fitting within that was sometimes a little bit harder. Um, but also, yeah, it was it was... That was probably the hardest part to fit in with Pride and Prejudice. But like you said, it's also sometimes useful to know exactly which beats you have to hit. Yeah, absolutely. And since we are within the world of Pride and Prejudice, this is where your book is. And and if, and if you read it, there are hints on where the second one uh, might go. I, I would like to know, what would you say to someone who sees your book on the bookshelf and they're looking at it and they go, gosh, this looks amazing. I do not have a foundation in Pride and Prejudice. What would you say to this person? That is a great question. Um, It's definitely something I worried about a little bit when I was writing it. I wish I had a copy handy so I could tell them what page to to flip to. I think it's around page 40. There's a paragraph where Lydia will summarize the events of Pride and Prejudice for you. So you, if you find that paragraph, read that first, then read the rest of the book and you'll be fine. We'll find it and we'll note it yeah, in our we'll show notes. Yeah, we'll find it put you, that show note in there. Yeah, like, this if, is where you go. <laughs> go here first. <laughs> you know, turn like left or right at the Yellow Brick Road. We're going to go to this paragraph if you've never mm-hmm. had that background. <laughs> it's like a choose your own adventure. Yes. That's an yeah, that's an excellent mm. answer because you do because she does she does sum it up and and it is uh, repeated in in a nice kind of way um, slightly a bit too because uh, Lydia does say like you know well that's 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 what happened I'm you know I'm being fair right that's mm-hmm. what happened but then we get a little bit more detail a little bit later on oh that's fantastic oh my gosh I will also say like. Slightly more seriously, I think the book will still work for people who have never read Pride and Prejudice at all. I think partially, like, you probably know more about it than you think because it's so around in our culture. But also, Lydia really tells, Lydia's deep in her own story. Um, And if you're, if you think Lydia's story sounds fun to you, you will probably enjoy it without having the grounding of Pride and Prejudice. 
but also you should read Pride and Prejudice because it's amazing. Exactly. And I think you touch on that part where Pride and Prejudice is so ingrained in our culture that even if you haven't read it, you've probably at least seen one of the three versions that we have. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's even mentioned in Barbie. Did you see Barbie this summer? Yes. So were (laughs) you like knowing what had already gone to print, knowing that arcs were coming out? Were you like, oh, my gosh. I feel very called out this very second. (laughs) I was a little bit like, hey, (laughs) I wasn't depressed. I was just tired. (laughs) Is that your version or are you a Kira Knightley version? I'm a Kira Knightley girl, I have to say. Yeah. I love them both, but the Kira Knightley one is the one that I tend to come back to. (laughs) (laughs) That's totally, that's totally fair. I I think Jess, that's yours as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, mine too. Mine too. Uh, wrapping up, uh, Melinda, where can people find you? Where can we reach you? And what are your upcoming projects, if you can share them? So my handle is at Melinda Taub on Instagram and Twitter, or however long Twitter exists. Um, I'm currently at work on a sequel to The Scandalous Conventions of Lydia Bennett Witch um, about her older sister, Mary. Uh, Mary is not a witch, uh, but she's sort of causing trouble in an adjacent genre. And that's all I'll say for now. Ooh, an adjacent genre. Now now I'm like, okay. Mm. (laughs) I feel like the thesis of this series, now that it is a a little series, is that uh, even the people you think you know best, they might be living not only in a different book, but a different genre than you. I love that. I love that. And and that's kind of uh, said in the book, too. Uh, it's like, you know, everybody's living their different lives, even while you're living your own story. Mm-hmm. Like, isn't that so fascinating? And that is something we should really keep in, in mind. And it's so real, too, because I feel like we it have like so the real. different facets, like how you can you could be a main character in your own story, but somebody or a side character and somebody might view you differently. And then your relationships that you have with other people, all those dynamics, that's, that's so exciting because it would be considered a different genre mm-hmm. if you'd like self-evaluate. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Mary being a side character here, she'll be the main character in her own story coming, coming soon. Do you have a, do you have a timeline for that or just in no. future? God, don't ask. I'm, <laughs> like, I'm I deep just, in the first draft. <laughs> I just got the first one out. Yeah. So, and then we'll make sure we'll have all that, um, all of your information in our show notes as well, too. Oh, well, thank you thank so you. much. Thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was a real pleasure. And as Melinda mentioned, please make sure you're checking her out on all of her socials. We'll make sure that's in our show notes, as well as feel free to follow us. We're on Instagram, Akafe Podcast. We're also both on TikTok, Akafe Laura and Akafe Jessica. Thanks so much for joining and we'll talk to you all soon. Bye.